0: We're going to pick up where we left off last week as we've been in this series here for several weeks now of the alternate reality. The definition of the word reality is the world or the state of things as they actually exist as opposed to an idealistic or notional idea of them. And as we've discovered, we're looking at the concept of that we are in a world that we are not a part of. And I know we say a lot of things. Here's the problem. I don't know that we believe a lot of things. I know we say a lot of things, and I know like somewhere up here, we know that those words are true, but how do they apply to our lives, like our everyday lives, that we live in a way such as this? Look at John chapter 17. So this is Jesus talking here. He's praying. He's getting ready to go to the cross. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Now, as we've broken this down, we've noticed, number one, is that the world hated Jesus. We can see that on the pages of Scripture. When it says the world, we're looking at two different realities. The world is the opposite of those who are followers of Christ. You basically have the Christ followers, they were called followers of the way, the disciples of Jesus, and you had everybody else. And essentially it has been like that since all of mankind's in existence. You had God's people in the nation of Israel, and if you weren't a part of that, you were a Gentile. That was it. There was only two people groups. And so now you see this again. And the world hated Jesus. Those who were not followers of the way hated Jesus. It doesn't talk about him just being disliked, or he's an inconvenience, or he says some things that I might disagree with. No, they hated him. And they hated him so much that they killed him. And then it goes on to say here that they're not of the world as I'm not of the world. As you sent me talking to the Father, I send them. What this is implying is that the mission that Jesus was on while he was on the earth, which was mandated by the Father, he has now turned that over to us to go into the world just as he was. So if that's true, why do we believe that somehow, some way, maybe just a little, that it is going to be very convenient for us in this world and that we could just be just full of smiles and happiness and people will love us? if we're not in constant tension with those who are not followers of Christ, maybe we're not doing it right. Because if you look at the examples left by Jesus and his followers, they were never really getting along. The only time that the disciples of Christ and Jesus himself got along with sinners was when they were preparing to repent. Think about that for a moment. But somehow in our culture today, we have bought into this notion that we are not of the world, we're in the world, and that the world will love us. And we need to do things to make them love us and to just like us and get along. That's never going to happen. Jesus couldn't have made it more clear. You see, as we've talked about, we are his imager, his agent, his representative on this earth in 1 John chapter 2. It says that now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked, doing what he did, saying what he said. These are all the things that we've been talking about. Remember, it's not a simple matter of like, well, that was Jesus and this is us. Jesus was a man on this earth. He grew in favor with men and God. He grew in understanding. God doesn't grow. God is. God doesn't gain knowledge. He gives wisdom. So if Jesus was here as God, we got a messed up God. He was here as a man, as what you and I can be. And it always came down to two things from the very beginning of what God said In what I see. In the garden, what did God say? Everything here, have at it. Whatever you want. This this tree over here, leave that one alone. What happens when she was confronted? Did God really say? What what are we saying? God said it. Did he really say it? Maybe that's not what he meant. That's how we like to interpret scripture. God, I know this is what you said, but let me explain to you what you meant right? This is why there's such argument of Jesus being married. That was a joke. Get it? Wife telling them, okay. A little early for that. I apologize. We'll work on that. Y'all stayed up too late cheering the Huskers on last night. That's what it was. Okay. Yes, thank you. Finally, somebody. Yeah, right, over here. The, the quiet couple. So the thing is, guys, is that what, we, what we're doing is like, okay, wait a minute, this is what he said. But that's, that can't be what he meant. I mean, Jesus walked in the water and we're supposed to do the works that he did. Well, that can't be what he meant. Jesus calmed a storm and we're supposed to do what he did. Well, that can't be what he meant. Uh, uh, Jesus, uh, he, uh, he healed people, but we don't heal. That can't be, look at all the excuses we make. And if, if we're just simply looking at this and we're like, okay, well, if we are his representative, as he clearly said, as you sent me, Father, I now send them. We are now his agent. We are sojourners on a, on a planet that we are not a part of. We are just pilgrims. In 1 Peter 2 verse 11, it says, "I be, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, which is the everybody else, that, that when they speak against you as an evildoer, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Do you know what the by your good works means? Think about this. What work did Jesus come to do? My food is to do the will of my Father. We talked about this, right? Jesus came to do the work of the Father. What good works did he do? He preached the gospel. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. Those are the good works. It's not being a moral person. That is a byproduct of the changed life. The fruit of the Spirit is not something that God just puts into you and says, okay, here you are. It's not a spiritual gift. It's what happens as a result of the changed life. So the things to abstain from, as he told the Israelites when they went into the promised land, listen, you need to drive them people out, tear down their high places, get rid of their idols, do not marry their women, or they will draw your heart away from me. What did they do? They didn't tear down the high places. They didn't destroy the idols. And guess what? Apparently, all the women in the promised land were pretty good looking because they married them all. And so what happened? It drew their heart away from them, from God. And so what are we seeing here? It's the same thing. Conduct yourself honorable. Abstain from the fleshly lust of the Gentiles, of that other people group. Because it will draw you away from me. We separate ourselves from the world. We look different. We talk different. We act different. But a sojourner who is not somebody who's just aimlessly wandering around, we are here with an authority. We are here on mission. The disciples of Christ was not 12. It was thousands. 12 were chosen, the apostles. But there were thousands. Look at what we've talked about, how they were baptizing them. And then John's disciples were like, yo, what is going on here? Why are all these people going to him? And what did John say? I must decrease so that he can increase. They just couldn't understand it. They were agents of Christ, his disciples, as Jesus was the agent of the Father. Look at John chapter 5, verse 24. It says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming, in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of lives, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus was a agent an agent of the father and then we see him constantly saying you go you go do this we saw him give authority to the disciples you 12 i want you to go i want you to preach the kingdom i want you to heal the sick i want you to cast out demons and they went and they did it and then he sends 70 he said hey here's what i want you to do i want you to preach the kingdom i want you to heal the sick i want you to cast out demons and they went and they did and they come back and like jesus you're not going to believe this even the demons are subject to us in your name was jesus impressed no. Was it something we're celebrating? No. Do you know why? Because it's a byproduct of a right relationship with Jesus. The authority that we have has been bestowed upon us. And as a result of that, going and doing things. It's kind of like when your kids clean their rooms and they come out and they're like, look what we did. Like, well, yeah, you're supposed to. Or how about this one? This might work a little bit better for you. How about when your husband finally does the dishes? It doesn't happen in my house, okay? But he does it. And what does he do? He walks around like, you know what I just did for you? Do you have any idea the cross I just bore in this house? I did the dishes. Am I alone? Y'all. We want to be praised for it. He's like, Jesus, the demons, they're subject to us in his name. You know what it would be if this was like the amplified American standard version of the Bible? Jesus will look at him and say, duh. But we're all surprised. We're shocked when somebody gets healed. We're shocked when we hear of ministries that are going out and casting out demons and raising. Why are we shocked? They're walking in a fullness that we're not. Should be standard protocol. You and I are agents of Jesus as Jesus was an agent of the Father. It's the Hebrew word or the term for it. It's shaliach. They have a term for this. this isn't just something that is randomly thrown out. But how did this all come to be? And this is where we went last week. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is Paul's rendition of a writing that Luke had about the Last Supper. And we often take this so for granted. In verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord. Where did Paul get it? From the Lord. That which I deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he had betrayed, he took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it. He said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, if we stop there for a moment, we begin to realize how many times have we heard this? I don't care what church you went to. At one point, whether it was every week, once a month, once a quarter, whatever, you heard this. And we go through it, and we grab these little cups here, and we're like, okay, take, eat. You realize those are two different words. It says to take it, and then to consume it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this as often in remembrance of me. And we break the little cracker, and then we eat it. And then we take the cup, and we drink, and we say the same thing, and we're like, well, what does that even mean? We never ask that question. What is going on here? We don't stop the thing. And then if we read on... We realize that this is kind of heavy. He says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a proclamation of some sort. Not this, but what he's doing, because this is not what he was doing. Verse 27, therefore, so because of this, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That's heavy. That's heavy. Let a man examine himself. Let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. You do what? You drink and eat judgment? For this reason. So as a result of that, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. That means dead. So as a result of not honoring this, If we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. What is the world? The everybody else. You see, we've taken this so for granted. We're like, well, wait a minute, I don't want to eat or drink this in an unworthy manner. I don't want to eat or drink judgment into myself. When it says, when I do this, I am proclaiming the Lord's death. What does that mean? And that's what we began to talk about last week, is that this isn't arbitrary. We know it's a part of the Passover meal, the Seder. We know that the third cup is the cup of redemption. That's the cup after supper that he's passing. But the bread, the unleavened bread, never has a prominent role. We know that they take them out of what we call the matzatosh. That's that that thing. I didn't bring it in here today. Where in the middle, they would bring that piece of bread out. They would break it. They would put half of it away in the afikoman, which would just be wrapping it in a napkin. They sell fancier things now because, you know, capitalism. But they set that off to the side, the kids will go find it later, it's this whole thing. But when Jesus broke the bread, he took it and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And I began to examine this and ask these questions like, I get the blood of the lamb, makes sense. Where's the breaking of the body? It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the model, right? If the the whole Passover meal is typology... The breaking of the body had no part to play in it. And I would ask Jewish people, like, what, what does that have to do with anything? Now, if they're an Orthodox Jew, they don't see any Messianic implications in this whatsoever. If they're a Messianic Jew, it means they're a born-again, fulfilled Jew, they don't understand how this has any association with Passover whatsoever either. Because the breaking of the body of the lamb did not happen. It had to be spotless, without blemishing. Remember, they had to bring the lamb in. We see it in Exodus, on the 10th of Nisan, cute, little, fuzzy, one-year-old or less lamb. On the 14th of Nisan, according to the Exodus passage, that they would have to go out and they would have to kill it. Remember, they couldn't just kill it, and it wasn't just the eating of it. They had to apply the blood. The application of the blood is what kept the angel of death from going into their home, and he would pass over. And so as we see Jesus is fulfilling this, and he's saying, this is my body, This is my blood. We began to ask ourselves these questions. What is it that he's doing? Well, as you guys have seen, is that whenever covenant was cut, it was usually between two people or groups of people, and they would both have a part to play in this. Now, the parts were not always equal, but the outcome was. In other words, sometimes that they would bring something, but they weren't equal in dollar amounts or anything like that. But when that blood was shed, whether they would slit their hands, you've heard of blood, brothers? They would slit their hands. They would shake. It was, bringing, it was the blood being applied together. They'd have the blood of the animals that would represent certain things. When we consume this, we are now taking in Jesus' life and his death and we're proclaiming it. But in what way? See, that's the question. That's where the dig comes in. So as we begin to expound upon this a little deeper, I want to go to Romans chapter 6. Again, I'm not going to read anything new to you. But I want you to know that there were consequences associated with followers of Christ. From the very beginning. The world hates them. As a result of the world hating them, many of them wanted to be killed. And as he's sitting there with his 12 desires, or 12 disciples, he says, with great desire, I've wanted to eat this Passover. So when they consume this, what are they taking in to themselves? Romans chapter 6, verse 1, here we go. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now, death is what? Death is permanent. You don't undie, right? Once you die, you can get unsick, right? You can do a lot of things, but there is no undeath. Once you're permanently dead, it's done, okay? We who died to sin live any longer. How shall we? So this is implying something. This is Paul talking to the church in Rome. He says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? If we have died, well, when did we die? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? And that's interesting. Now, is this talking about water baptism? Is talking about something else? Not necessarily. But we were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, when he says you should walk in that, he's implying what? That you may not, but you should. So, let's again, we're going slow here for a reason. Do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's one piece of the pie. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also walk in newness of life. So if we are seeing something that is associating with his death, and we also see another part that is associating with his life, we're seeing how we are now a part of his death, and we are a part of his life. You guys with me so far? Okay, I'm trying to go slow, because I know I talk a little fast, No, I'm trying. Verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, what was his death? Well, you can say the cross, and certainly that's what led to it. But there was another part, because his body was ravaged. When they talk about that beating he took, there is nothing that we can do that will do justice to get it. When they talk about this, there would be organs and stuff hanging out of his body. One of the things that Paul talks about the stripes. Remember, when Paul would go, he would go to these bathhouses because that's how they bathe. And they would talk about the stripes that he had taken. When he would take his robe off, everybody behind him would see The scars, the bruising, the beating. That man was flogged probably more than anybody else and lived to tell the story. And every one of those was a testimony to what Jesus did. Why would he do that? Why would he go through that? Why would he not just give up? So let's keep going. If we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Two different things. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Well, when was our old man crucified with Him? See, with Him implies when He was. Right? Same time. At the cross. Prior to Jesus going to the cross, what did He do? This is my body. This is my blood. You guys seeing this? As often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Did we die? Do we live? We're proclaiming his death. We're also proclaiming his resurrection in what? We're no longer slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. That's a common sense statement, right? Once you're dead, you don't worry about calories either. Now, if we died with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, He dies no more, death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. Now watch, my favorite word, you ready? Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does likewise mean? in the same manner, the exact same way. Everything that Jesus did was a picture to you and I, not just a moral picture, not just a what does this mean type thing. It is more so of what did he literally do? How are we proclaiming his death and proclaiming his life? You see, what I'm trying to get you to see here is that the moment that that bread was broken and passed around and the moment that that wine was consumed, they had now entered into a fellowship, in covenant with Jesus, of what Jesus was about to do, what he was about to go through, for their benefit. You see, ultimately, the new covenant, different than many others, because there were covenants between God and man that both parts had, a, uh, both people had a part to play in it, which means it could be broken. What's an example of that? One, a very simple one, is the Mosaic covenant, right? I will be your God. You'll be my people. If you do what I say, you'll be good. If you don't, you'll be bad. What do you want to do? Yeah, we like it. Sounds great. We'll sign on. Okay? And the moment that they didn't keep the commandments, they had broken the covenant. That didn't mean God gave up on them, but the agreement was gone. There were consequences. But the covenant with Abraham, as an example, I'm going to give you this land. And then he put him to sleep, and then he cut the covenant without him. It was for his benefit. So here we see that they are now consuming a portion of the covenant. Was Abraham there when the covenant was cut? Yep. Was Moses there when the covenant was cut? Yep. Was David there when the covenant was cut? Yep. All these different covenants. We've talked about this before. Right now, here they are. They're saying this is a representation. Do you realize that every time an animal was sacrificed, it was a representation? The blood of bulls and goats could never... you guys with me? See that's what we we don't think like this. We just blaze right through this. They were consuming the sacrifice did as a part of the covenant. The new covenant was between the father and the son on behalf of all of those who partook. And just like in the Ten Commandments, you say, "Do not take the Lord's name in vain." Did not mean, did not use it in a cuss word. It simply meant, "Do not call yourselves my people." Vainly, because when you call yourself my people, there are strings attached. There's an expectation. When we call ourselves Christian, followers of Jesus, disciples of Him, there are strings attached, and we don't like to hear that. Now let me let me move on here just just briefly. But look what Galatians chapter two says: I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. What has been? I no longer live. It's Christ lives in me. His life, I now live in the flesh and I live by faith in the Son of God. That's Galatians. This is Paul. Look at Paul again in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love... Perseverance, persecutions, affliction, which happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Do we walk as He walked? See, we don't like persecution. The best thing that could happen to America, as far as the church is concerned is intense persecution. Where it costs you your job, it may cost you relationships, your family, it may even cost you your life. Because when the rubber meets the road, you will separate the sheep from the goats. But we don't like that. It doesn't feel good. We've lived in an era where we do what we want and everybody just is okay with it. Hey, you have your truth, that's cool. Do you. It's not true for me. Was it true for Paul? Must be. Because he's telling Timothy, who was his disciple, you followed my doctrine and my manner of life and my purpose and my faith and long-suffering love and perseverance. Oh, that sounds all great. Yeah, way to go, Timothy. Oh, yeah, my persecutions and my afflictions and which happened to me at Antioch and at Conium and Lystra. What happened there? He got stoned, left unto dead. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Do you guys know what all in the Greek means? Same thing as it means in English. So whoever desires to live godly... In Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. Now, let me ask you this. We're not suffering persecution should we begin to ask questions. Again, it doesn't mean intensity. It doesn't mean we have to have people throwing rocks at our heads or anything like that. But if we're just getting along with the world, it would make you question things, wouldn't it? Should. Should. Look at Acts chapter 3. Now, this is an example. We know the story. Acts chapter 2 is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The birth of the church is what we call it. Peter stands up after that event, preaches, all this stuff going on. Very next chapter, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer in the ninth hour. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, and whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. So this guy never walked in his life, end up at the temple every day asking for money. That's all he's doing. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, okay? You'd expect that, right? And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. And so he gave him his attention, and what was he expecting? He said, oh, Peter, man of faith, who in the future shadow may heal people. Right now, I'd like to stand up and walk. No, what does he say? I'd like to eat. You got any money? He's expecting this. So he gave him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now, here's the thing. Peter left himself no out Because most of us, walking in the same situation, we'd pray, Lord, please heal this man, and we'd like, God bless you, God be with you, just keep the faith, brother, and we'd walk on. But Peter experienced everything he did with Jesus. And when Jesus said, hey, Peter, I'm going to die, but don't worry, I'm going to come back, and he's like, no, you're not. And Jesus said, yes, I am. And he says, no, you're not. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Yes, I am. And then all of that happens. This man is fully persuaded. The time between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 is not long. Peter did not go into fasting and week-long prayer sessions, trying to get filled with the Holy Ghost and with power. That had already happened. He's walking, and opportunities here, and he leaves himself no out. Because I ain't got no money, but what I got, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he reached his hand down, and he pulled the man up. Now, one of two things is going to happen. It's either going to work, or the man's going to go back down. But Peter left himself no out. It's the hour of prayer. Now, have you guys seen the Jews praying at the Western Wall? Are there a lot of them that are there? Can you imagine what's going on here? There's going to be a lot of people around, and they all know this guy. He's been sitting there for a long time. And look what happened. Immediately, his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking leaping and praising God and all the people saw him walking and praising God and then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him wouldn't you be if that happened outside of here today we'd all be like holy smokes did you see that just like everybody else now who is the everybody else it's the world Their attention is grabbed. This dude sits here every day. He won't leave me alone. I guarantee you people went to different gates to avoid that guy. It's like, man, he's always there. He's got his cardboard sign. Veteran, God bless, anything helps. And Peter just pulled them up. And all the people saw him. And they knew it was him. And they're filled with wonder and amazement. We'd all be just celebrating. Some of us might take a lap around the building. I mean, we'd be excited. Was Peter excited? Look at verse 11. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, and all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded. Now what did he see? All the people walking, running, running to, like, what is going on? Look at his response. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? What's he saying? Duh. This is, this is what somebody does. Filled with the Spirit. In covenant with Christ. This isn't special. This is what they do. Why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? And I love this part. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who's that? Their God. The God of our fathers. He glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered up and you denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One. And the just. And asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead. Of which we are witnesses. We all sought. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Why should you be surprised? This is what Jesus did. He was an agent of the Father. This is what his disciples do. They were an agent of Jesus. Look at verse 17. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from your brethren, him you shall hear in all things and whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days, you are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our father saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities what did he just do he gave them a history lesson and reminded them of the Jesus that had been there that they rejected that you didn't want but now's your chance repent that a time of refreshing may come that your sins may be blotted out and all of this amazing stuff is going on and Peter is so bold this isn't the Peter who denied him this is a different Peter Look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captains of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, let me stop you right here for just a moment. You have to understand why they're disturbed. At this point, the Sadducees had taken power over the Sanhedrin, which is like the Supreme Court of the the Jewish people. The Sadducees, Sadducees did not believe in angels, they did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. So why are they disturbed that they're preaching that in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead? Because they don't believe that. That's not what happened. That's not true. Now, prior to that in Jesus is when his time the Pharisees were in power. And the Pharisees were examining. Now, they believed in the supernatural, but they were what we would call the legalists. That you had the scriptures, and then you had their versions of the scriptures, of how you keep all the stuff that is right and wrong. And they get to be the determiner of those things. So here they go. Verse 3, they laid hands on them and put them into custody until the next day. But it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Not a bad little sermon. He's doing okay. It's amazing when you begin to read this very slowly, like, wait, what is happening here? When you begin to think, like, what if I was there? What would I do? Look at the response. The people are shocked, and Peter's just like, "Uh, hello, you remember that guy? You know, you all killed him, and then God raised him. Death couldn't keep him down. Yeah, I'm his follower. I'm doing what he did because I'm his representative. This is what he told me to do. This is what he does. There's no surprise here. But the leaders, the same type of people who had rejected Jesus' beginning are going to reject him now again. Look at verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many of were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they said, by what power or by what name have you done this? Now, understand this. Remember that they would believe that if you were born with something, an ailment of sort that this was a, something that your parents had sinned or you had sinned in your life, that God had inflicted on you as judgment. When they would invoke the name, any name, they would be one spirit over another, the higher-powered spirit. They are asking a legitimate question because they don't know all the details yet. That's why they're examining this. This is the gathering of the Sanhedrin to figure out what's going on. By what power or by what name have you done this? They want to know. Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that sound like Jesus? Sounds just like Jesus, doesn't it? Said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man. You notice what he just says here? He just called this a good deed. Look how watered down we have made. That's a tangent. We are going there. If we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name, under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. Now, look what he just said here, okay? He said, by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, it's by him, Jesus, this man stands here, before you whole. Now, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees as they were questioning about his miracles? I only do what the Father has sent me to do. What did Peter just say? I only do what Jesus told me to do it's by his name his authority so he's not representing himself now watch the reaction verse 13 now when they saw the boldness of peter and john and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men they marveled and they realized that they had been with jesus so it's all coming together they're recognizing you see we think of these guys as big deals they did not think of these guys as big deal they didn't know who peter and john were they didn't care they're just another guy. They had this whole system set up. So when we're here, this, like, well, yeah, it's Peter and John. Of course, you're like, who are you? What have you done? I don't understand. So they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they were uneducated and untrained, which means they had not set through the teachings that they had been given. They marveled, and they realized they'd been with Jesus. Why did they realize that? Because of the boldness what boldness? Well, the boldness of which they spoke. Also, how about the boldness of which they say, you, get up. And he reached down and picked them up. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Didn't mean they didn't want to, just mean they couldn't, because look at what's going on here. I can't, we can't help this. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, well, what do we do with these men? Or indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. There were witnesses. People saw it. They can't deny what happened. But, so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. And from now on, they speak to no man in this name. So, we're going to let you go, but if you do this again, and you, you use this name of Jesus... We're going to have problems. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So they're just threatening them. And Peter's like, you decide whether we should listen to you or God. You decide whether that's right or wrong. But we're going to do this. We can only speak the things which we have seen and which we have heard. Do you realize that that sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. Do you guys see the tie-in here? Look at verse 23. And being let go, they went to their companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Calm them down. They didn't pray, God, please give us favor with them. Let us get along. Let them see how nice we are to everybody. They said, God, give us boldness to speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That name that they were just threatened, never speak again. And when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. What is the word of God? It's Jesus. You see, when they partook, they became one with His death, and they also became one with His life. When the body dies, the Spirit lives. You see, they are in covenant and they can't separate. This is my body for you, Peter. This is my blood for you, Peter. As often as you do this, you proclaim my death. In this world, you will have trouble. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Do you guys see all of this starting to tie together. That boldness wasn't arbitrary. Peter didn't wake up one day and like, ah, I'm just going to go out of my way to make everybody hate me. No, he didn't care. He no longer cares. He's no longer timid. He denied Jesus three day, uh, three different times. And now he's got actual threats against his life. He doesn't care. I can only say what I've seen and what I've heard. In Philippians 1 verse, 29, or verse 19 it says, For I know that this will turn out... For my deliverance through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What is he associating it with? Jesus is life and death. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If Indeed, the Spirit of God dwells in you, for if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of his righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Christ's death, Christ's life in us. Luke chapter 14, verse 25, look at this. Now this is not popular today, but look at what Jesus tells them. Okay, You will never hear an altar call in an American church like this. Look at verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, doesn't sit down first... And count the cost, whether you have enough to finish it, whether it's worth it. Otherwise, after you laid the foundation and you're not able to finish, will all those who see it begin to mock, saying, this man began to build was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask for conditions of peace. So likewise... Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's a lot different. When Jesus is saying, "This is my body, this is my blood," you're proclaiming the Lord's death. Don't take this lightly, because you're taking, you're consuming it. He "If we just arbitrary, we just go through the motion, we've turned this into a sacrament." But think about that. Do we live our lives like, man, this is what Jesus did? Do we go by people sitting in the street and say, get up and walk? I told you guys, I've been, I've been working through the Gospels very slowly. It's taken me a long time. I'm going through and I'm looking at all the examples of healing. I'm, trying to, I'm kind of looking for, for trends, I guess, if you will. You know what's amazing to me? Half the time that Jesus like, heals somebody, he's like, yeah, you're fine now. And that's essentially what he says. We turn it into this hoopla. He's just like, yeah, you, get up, little girl. Hey, stand up. Oh, she's not dead, she's asleep. Oh, no, you're crazy, she's dead. No, 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 she's fine, give her something to eat. It was like no big deal. And you look at the examples of the apostles, and it was no big deal. And when Jesus sat here, he said, if anyone comes to me, and he doesn't hate everything else, he cannot be my disciple. Do you realize, you guys heard Chad say this, Jesus didn't come to this earth to get you to heaven came to this earth to make you right before God, to be his representative. You cannot be my disciple. Could you imagine that today? Remember when we read that verse that says whatever sins you retain, they retain whatever sin. You cannot be his disciple. Count the cost. Is it worth it? When he says, pick up your cross and follow me, do you realize that that was the most destructive, ruthless way of killing somebody? You pick that up. You associate with me. You can't be my disciple. Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, you need to think about this. Because there are consequences attached to becoming a disciple of Jesus. You may not want to be. That's cool. He'll never force anybody into his heaven against their will. You need to count the cost. Look at Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Last, last verse, I promise. When he had called the people to himself with the disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deci- deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me, and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Can we be honest? We don't count the cost. When we're out there trying to Win people over there, we don't tell them the cost. And the reason is, is it didn't cost us anything. Coming a Christian in America doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't hurt you. It doesn't change your life. It doesn't cost you your job and your family. Your life's not on the line. But in a lot of the world, it does. When you make a decision. like You don't have to do this. But we don't get to choose the standards. The standards were laid. When Jesus said... Boys and girls, here's what we're going to do. They were partaking in that covenant that Jesus was doing with the Father and taking his life and his body and his blood in themselves. And everywhere they went, they proclaimed that. You guys seen this? So much deeper. So much richer. So much more. We're just going to start it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we just pray that you just convict our hearts. You take so much for granted. I take you for granted and what you've done. Lord, I just pray that you light a fire inside of us and you burn out all things that need to go. And you just fill us with the Holy Ghost and we can walk in the fullness of your power, Lord. It's not for our benefit for the worlds. Lord, I just thank you that just like as we read in the book of Acts of the hands of the disciples as they preach the word, the signs follow the Lord, that that is our life. And that's what we do. That it becomes so commonplace that we're no longer wowed by what you've done because it's who you are. And we may represent you in every aspect of our life. Every word we speak brings glory to you. Every action we take brings glory to you, that every part of our life belongs to you. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.